0: Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska.
1: Welcome back to the Northern Hunter Podcast, everybody. I'm Dalton Gray, and I'm Mariah Humphries, and thanks for coming back for another episode of our show. This week, we are going to keep it a little bit shorter on this episode as uh, Fourth of July weekend uh, for you guys is going on right now. Yep. But this is a few days prior for us, and it's also wrapping up towards the end of bear baiting season. And Mo and I have been hard at work, busy, busy, busy out at our bear baits. That's right. Checking things, cleaning things up, and uh, just trying to wrap up the season. And working full-time jobs. And working full-time jobs. And uh, And getting
2: enough sleep. I
1: think maybe the both of us might have gotten a combined total of six hours of sleep last night. (laughs) And that's no exaggeration. So, uh, anyway, today James is absent again. Uh, He sends his regards and he probably will be back for the next show. I hope
2: so for his sake.
1: We hope, yeah. I'm sure
2: he's really missing this.
1: Yeah, I talked to him on the phone here a little bit ago and uh, he doesn't have good enough service to call into the show, (laughs) which
2: would be. uh, Yeah, that would be nice.
1: Which would be great. Uh, It'd be kind of funny to have James call into our show. (laughs) I mean, hold the phone up to the mic. Right. Anyway, so he would hopefully be back for us next week, but we will see. All right. He's still out in the bush. So we have a few more listener questions to get to this week and uh, some of the emails that came through, and we have a few uh, bear bait updates for you, and then we have a little bit of an interesting discussion that we'll get into as well. But before we get to all that, we want to remind you guys to continue emailing into the show on the Northern Hunter website, either through... well, the, through our contact us button.
2: That or the w- in email info at northernhunter.com.
1: Right. And w- we will get that either way. And uh, we will uh, do our best to respond to you if it's a question that we can respond to via the email. And if it's a pertinent enough question, then we will go ahead and talk about it on the air like the ones we are today. So continue to write in your questions. We appreciate that. And we are uh, grateful for all the, all the positive feedback we've been getting and uh, be sure to follow us on our social media pages as well, on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. And uh, if you like what we're doing and you'd like to support the show, just real quick here, you can support us through our sponsor page on our, uh, on our website. We have sponsorship mm-hmm. and discount codes through Yukon River Knives, Stealthy Hunter, and BATEM907, and we also are partnered through Weatherby and Hammer Bullets. That's right. There's not a discount code through them, but through the previous three that I mentioned, there is a discount code. So for Yukon River Knives and for Stealthy Hunters discount, you need to type in the, in, in the promo code bar at checkout. Type in The Northern Hunter, no caps, no space. Mm-hmm. For BATEM907, you need to type in TNHP the abbreviation for the podcast name, and that will get you a discount through Baitum 907 for all of your bear attractants and lures. And even though it's wrapping up in the interior here for us in bear baiting season, there are other parts of the country and even another part of Alaska where there is some fall bear baiting. I believe there are some states in the lower 48 that might have some fall bear baiting as well. Uh, I I, I couldn't say for sure. I don't live there and never bear baited in the states. Yeah, me neither. But It seems like I've seen something somewhere where there is uh, legal bear baiting in other parts of the country and possibly Canada as well. Oh, yeah, I could see that. We can look into that and and find out more later. Uh, So anyway. This might be a good time to mention,
2: actually. Baitum 907 not only has bear baiting lures. That's primarily what we use, primarily what they're known for. But they also have trapping lures Mm -hmm. and, and moose lures.
1: I don't know about the moose lure deal anymore. I I, I know that some of the state did away with uh, with the legality of using You cannot moose. use... Is uh, it, is you it can, urine? You can't use urine.
2: Okay. I believe that's, that's what I, I was thinking about not saying that, but then I remembered. Yeah. That it's
1: just urine, I believe. Okay. And uh, yeah. Well, anyway, always make sure that you're up to date on your regs for your area and make sure that that is legal. Mm-hmm. But they do make a lot of trapping lures that are very effective as well. That you can use outside of bear baiting season, obviously, when it's cold and dark and there's a bunch of snow on the ground and you're out trapping. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have one housekeeping item to get to this week that I mentioned in the last episode pertaining to the First Light Omen Storm Shelter rain gear. I was under the impression for some reason, I thought I had heard that the First Light Omen rain gear was made with shoulder fabrics. And I do not believe that to be true after some further research okay. that I did this week. However, I believe I got Cryptek mixed into that somehow in my own head, and Kryptek uses a lot of shoulder fabrics is 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 what I was learning. so anyway, quick housekeeping item there. not a big deal, but uh, I try to be um, as uh, as truthful as we can be as right. far as the facts on little gear items and whatnot. And uh, you know it might not be a big deal to some people, but it is to others, and it is to me, and mm-hmm. uh, I try to be accurate. <laughs> when I'm directing people in the direction of gear. So anyway, Mariah, tell us about your bear baiting action this week. Okay,
2: this is depressing, but also encouraging. Okay. So I get out to, so I had a bait that everybody knows, I'm sure if you're listening to the podcast, that um, I had no no hits on. It was a new spot. I thought it was going to be amazing. And uh, we had a late breakup and all that, which is part of what I attributed to it. I worked really hard with scent and things and had no hits. And yeah. so, I mean, it was probably eight days or so till I made it back out to it because I had a bait with grizzlies that I was hunting. And um, I get back out there and a, a black bear's hitting it, hit it, eating it out. So I hunted a couple of nights. He doesn't come back. Season's almost over. So I cleaned it up. Mm-hmm. But at least I had a black bear or two on it. I'm not yeah. completely sure. The, yeah. The camera angle was kind of weird. Uh, we talked a lot about getting cameras ready. And <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, it's funny. I had a lot of camera issues this year. You had some too. It's.
1: I, well, I, I, well, I mean, it's yeah. u- some of it's okay. user
2: error, some of it's camera error, but
1: we can get into that we'll here get, in a
2: little bit. Yeah. We can get into that here, but yeah. so, and then my other bait had a uh, grizzly bears all over it. And then mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the, uh, the, the calf moose dropping or, or whatever that that was late this year, Yeah. but the last week nothing had hit it yeah. back when I, when I had been covered up a few days pre- previous Yeah. and I hold more bear bait out this year than I have ever hold out in, before. Like hold out of the site. Hold out of the site. To both clean sites, up. Both yeah. sites. The grizzly one, I easily hauled out 100 pounds. Wow. The black bear one was mostly nasty stuff from early in the spring and it wasn't as yeah. much. but.
1: So since we're on that topic, when people have to clean up a bear bait at the end of the season, you mm-hmm. have to have your bear bait out by the end of June at midnight. Right. That is it. Like it's not July 1st or after the 4th of July weekend activities. Right. It's the end of June is the end of June and that's when it's got to be out of there. Yeah. So, what does that entail for a bear baiting so, cleanup?
2: So, usually, obviously, you pull your tree stands, tree mm. steps, cameras, mm-hmm. um, and then with your bait, the 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 regulations do specifically say that you need to pull all contaminated material, mm-hmm. like, you know, dirt and things like that. Yeah. Typically, if you've had a good bear bait, the bears have done that for you. <laughs> um, right. It's been a few years since I've had one that was that good, but yeah. Uh, a lot of times if you've got a lot of bears that are consistent, they'll, they'll eat the dirt the grease is in, Mm -hmm. which, you know, takes care of the issue. Yeah. Um, the, uh, but, oh, you know, so for instance, I had the one bait, like I said, that didn't have bears hit it. So I kept trying to add fresh bait on top and keep some fresh bait there. And he did, he ate the fresh bait. He also ate all the maggots.
1: Mm, Wow.
2: Which I mean, makes sense. They, they eat maggots out of logs, I guess. I guess. he, He ate all the fresh bait. He ate the maggots. And he left all the the <laughs> thick about three inch thick layer of just nastiness, you know, soggy dog food. And uh, anyway, I um he slept on top of that actually. <laughs> but anyway, so I shoveled all that up. But yeah, it, it didn't look like much was there. Uh huh. But when I started getting there with the shovel, I really had to work hard to clean that stuff out. Yeah. And that is what's required. That's what the regs list, and that's what a trooper, if he comes to check out your bait, is looking for. Right. Looking to make sure. Looking to see that you really made an effort to clean it out. Yeah. Um. And then obviously, if there's any garbage or anything, that's that's the number one thing you get written up for right there. Is leaving garbage after empty grease jugs,
1: buckets, you know, um, scent spray bottles, and things like that. Jars of paste and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Then my grizzly bait. Um. I. I just shoveled out a really bunch of really good a bunch of dog food that was actually fine, which kind of sucked. But I just
1: threw it away because. And so all all those grizzly bears were hitting, and then they they just dried up and left.
2: They did, which I found weird because I had like five or six bears on there at least, Mm -hmm. Um, and they ate a bunch of food in a couple days. Didn't completely eat it out. Mm -hmm. I went in there and hunted it, baited it up, like put like 50 plus pounds on with a bunch of grease and a whole bunch of fresh scent, did a burn, all that stuff, and uh, nothing. And for like two days, I thought, well, let me give it a break. That's when I went and hunted my other bait. And you know nothing there clean that one up went back the other day to the grizzly bait and nothing had been back for since before I was there the previous time so yeah it's you know it's not worth trying to get another bear in only to you know end up really tired on my 4th of July weekend
1: so right right yeah it is wrapping up towards the end here i think at the time at the time of this recording we have uh 3 days left
2: in the season yeah. i think we have um one day left
1: Mm, I, I, what is today? I, I Wednesday. It's oh. three. Yeah.
2: Yeah, we're recording this on a Wednesday, so two days.
1: Well, tonight, tomorrow, and Friday. Midnight. Uh, okay. Friday. If
2: you're counting tonight.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, yeah exactly. Well, anyway, though. Yeah. I, I, uh, I went out with, uh, with a friend of mine the other day and, uh, went and checked a bait that, uh, that had been kind of taken over by a grizzly bear, unfortunately, and was kind of dogging all the other bears out of the area. Um, it, it was a, uh, a grizzly bear that would not come on camera mm-hmm. um he kind of um piddled around near the bait um uh, within earshot i could hear him breathing and wheezing and carrying on and doing grizzly bear stuff and, and growling and and uh you know just everything that grizzly bears do when they're yeah. not happy mm-hmm. that you're popping there popping their teeth yeah and 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 even when i wasn't there he never came into the camera view um which i found a little bit odd maybe he works for the cia he doesn't want his picture taken <laughs> yeah he's he's an off-grid grizz uh, yeah, th- th- there's a t-shirt idea right there. Off grid grizz. Off grid grizz or government grizz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that grizzly bear had hit that bait and kind of ran, ran all the other black bears off. Um, through some, uh, through some acts of defiance on my part, I was able to, uh, run him off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just kind of causing a ruckus in there and, and trying to, you know, just yell and, and, uh, run him off when, when I knew he was in there. And it seemed to have worked because I had a, you know, a black bear hitting that bait, but uh, it, it wasn't a bear that I wanted to shoot. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I ended up just letting that one go for the year and I cleaned that bait out and I'm, you know, was done with that particular spot for the year. It's all wrapped up and packed out and cleaned up uh, for the year. And then I've got one more left that my wife and I will try to, uh, try to hunt here tomorrow night, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, maybe on the next episode, we'll have one more bear kill to talk about. That'd be nice. Maybe. I, I'm, I'm not uh, super confident with some weather rolling in here, but it's, it's a possibility. But um, yeah, I, it's, it's been kind of a strange year for bear baiting in a lot of areas. You know, some spots it seems to be just dynamite and mm-hmm. it, it's, it's been blowing up here in the last three weeks. But uh, something I found interesting is in the last four or five days of being out and about, I've seen several. Cow and calf moose. Yep. And the calves look about a week old. I saw two last night. Yeah. That to me seems late, mm-hmm. right? It seems like they were dropped late. And I was talking to somebody else and uh, they, they, they had the same theory. They'd mm-hmm. been seeing a lot of brand new calves. They even saw a couple this year, uh, that just, just in the last week or so, that, that they said looked like they had just been dropped the day or two before. Like they could barely even walk, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the rut happening in the beginning of June usually is when, uh, is when people complain about their bear baits kind of being sporadic, right? right. Because the boar's chasing the sows. Now, a lot of times you'll have boars and sows at the bait, but sometimes you'll have bears that come in for a couple of days and they just leave and they don't come back for a while. Mm -hmm. People kind of freak out and they think their bear bait is dying. Then they all come back in a week and a half, right? Mm -hmm. And they're all split up. And usually it's right around that time that the moose calves are dropping too, is, uh, you know, second and third week of June. And that also has a tendency to pull bears off of the baits as well. I have yeah, seen anyway. Yeah. Not every bait, and this is highly subjective to what we have experienced at our bear baits, but usually we see a lull, mm-hmm. um, usually related to the rut, and then also related to the calf drop time. Right. And this year it seems like the calf drop was late, which I think could easily be contributing to some of these bears hitting and then just disappearing. They're off chasing protein. Right, right. That's you know, it, it it's not a hard and fast thing that that I think is an absolute fact, but it's a possible explanation. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, overall, I've got nothing to complain about. I have been able to shoot one bear. We talked about that in the last show. I I think it was the last show we talked about that
2: kill. Yes, I believe so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so anyway, I I I, uh, I feel blessed to have killed the one bear, even on a kind of a tough year. Yeah. Um, you know, did end up passing up on a smaller one. Like I said, wasn't big enough to kill is what it is. You know, right. sometimes you just have to let those little ones grow and bring in more bears too. Uh, because the the even a, even a cleaned up site, the bears still smell that in the air mm-hmm. and they'll frequent through a bear bait because they know it was there. Right. They'll still come through there in the summertime. Well, and
2: I talked about eating the dirt and, and bears will come in and do that, even yeah. I mean, you know, it don't matter yeah. how hard you work to clean it all up. There's still gonna be some and that's why they want it cleaned up like that. Even
1: if you can't smell it, right, the, the bears, bears can, can smell still it. smell it. Yeah. And even a couple of little bears that you pass up, them walking around through the summer and coming back through there is gonna mm-hmm. bring in more bears. Yeah. Usually a bear bait like that gets better every year for for at least a year or two.
2: I think it gets better every year, every time you got it there.
1: And yeah, that that's that tends to be the case. So anyway, that's kind of our update on the bear baiting scheme of things. Um yeah, I I I wish we had more bears to too. Uh, to kind of you know, choose through and, and shoot from, but at sometimes you just gotta take what you can uh, get.
2: this year or the beginning of the bait season this year, you put your baits in real early. You know, you stomp through the snow and all that nonsense, which I'm glad I I, I did, but I didn't put a bait in because I didn't have to. <laughs> I put one in a couple weeks well, later. Well, you weren't leaving for six exactly, weeks. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I did stomp into one spot that I thought about putting a bait in and then never did. But uh, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe I should put one in there. <laughs> but anyway, um, so w- what I thought at that point, though, was, man, Dalton's going to be gone. I'm going to be killing <laughs> bears. He's going to come back and I'm going to have a grizzly. I'm going to have a black bear and I'm going to be like, you know. Yeah getting him hunting my bait so he can kill bears. And well, that's <laughs> yeah. not what happened.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Little yeah. check on my pride there. Yeah. Usually I, I have a, well, I I have a baiting partner that I run with and mm-hmm. uh, he kind of, he kind of runs the baits that we run together. And, and uh, if he wants to shoot a bear while I'm gone, then he right. does that, right. which, which he did. And then when I get home, he and I kind of co-run them together and then I got to shoot the one. So, and you know, like I said, I'm grateful for what I've gotten and uh, that they, they haven't been totally dead. And, and, all the baits that we've run this year have, have all had bears. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I think there are spots that we'll return to next year and keep on a trying. So,
2: well, before we leave the bear baiting thing, yeah. minute, if that's all right, there was something I wanted to talk about just cause I was found it interesting and looked it up the other day. Okay. And, uh, I, just cause I've been curious about it. I've been going ahead into bear baits with my dad since I was seven years old mm-hmm. and I've seen this every year We you take a stink bucket, a bunch of old dirty food or whatever, old nasty table scraps, and you put it out there in on a tree, and it's, it hangs there and rots, and it's just the nastiest thing you ever smell in your life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got a picture with a black bear with his nose in one, which is you know beyond me how he finds that appetizing. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, I went and uh, I hauled one of those out the other the other day, a few days ago, that um, had probably fifty beetles in it. Really? And they're about an inch long, half inch wide or so, and they're black and orange,
1: like spruce beetles. No, no.
2: they're just they're beetles and. I uh they're just they look like a big beetle. They kind of look like a big dermis dead beetle, and that's kind of what I always thought they were. Okay. Uh for those of you that don't know, dermis dead beetles are uh specific. They're meat-eating beetles, and they're used by taxidermist uh, a lot to like clean skulls and things like that. Do we have dermis dead beetles in Alaska? I don't believe we do. So that's what I got to looking them up. Like I was curious because a lot of dermis dead beetles come like from Africa, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um and uh anyhow, so I started looking it up the other day, and so they're they're called an, the American burying beetle. Burying, burying, and I believe that's just because they bury themselves for the winter, the cold months, which they have to to survive. Oh, up here. really? Okay. But I've always found it phenomenal that they can, in a matter of a week or so, find a bucket of nasty old food and populate it so quickly, because they didn't all just lay eggs and you know grow to an inch long in a week. Yeah. I don't think. Um, <laughs> um, but wh- what I was reading is they fly, like at night, they fly around looking for food. Really? Yeah. And so that's how they find the bucket, apparently. And maybe, and and, it, and they probably have something that helps them scent, sense the scent or something like that, some kind of sensors, but- um Do they
1: have real long antennas on them or No, what? they don't. No. Interesting.
2: Like They've got sh- like short antennas, but-
1: Okay. So here's my question. Okay. Did you eat one?
2: No, <laughs> I don't see myself ever doing that um, oh, because I, I, I could
1: see you doing that. See, fry' up in some bear fat. <laughs> yeah, but it was in the stink bucket, okay? Oh, like, yeah, you know, yeah, that, yeah, that's you, the biggest thing. If you I don't found want one, to eat anything out of the
2: stink if I bucket, I found one crawling along the ground, and and I was really hungry. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm just giving you a hard i know time. i'm sure it wouldn't taste like anything but yeah well um, you never know it might uh might not taste so great so the the type of beetle they are like the the, the obviously the name is the american burying beetle but they're a type of carrion beetle which mm. carrion being dead game yeah. right rotten rotten or just you know a lot of times it's moose killed by bears right or mm. wolves or whatever but that, that's carrion
1: w- what
2: uh What color are these beetles? They're black with orange spots or not really spots. They're more of like splotches. And a lot of times they're kind of patterned. There's like four splotches on them.
1: So at one of my bear baits, I noticed a bunch of those the other night too. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think I've ever noticed those in particular. I've always,
2: I've seen them every year. I've got a stink bucket or something. I see them and you'll see them on carcasses and stuff, which makes sense. Yeah. But I've seen, I mean, you'll just, you take a stink bucket that's been there all all season and, Mm -hmm. and you really look at it and like, yeah. I, I like I said there had to be at least fifty in that thing. Interesting. I took that thing down, and it sloshed around a little. I got a whiff of that. Whoo, That was rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, I, that poor poor kid I had uh Jason I had running camera with me. He worked just as hard as I did. Except yeah. for one night he texted me and said he couldn't make it. And next day he when he was out there with me again, I said, Um, what's the matter? Not getting enough sleep? Can't take can't take the heat and he goes yeah, I just I just had a really rough day at work and had to get some sleep one night and I called him a noob. <laughs> but anyhow, I, he doesn't learn though. I uh, He doesn't learn? He doesn't learn. Okay. Well, he does, but you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> I, um, every time I say, smell this, he smells it. <laughs> I, we The first time we were out there looking to put a bait in I pull out a can of nasty boar, open it up And say, hey, smell this <laughs> He stuck his nose right down in there and took a big old whiff Oh boy And then uh, Cashed in your courtesy sniff We're out there and I, I, I open up a stink bucket to hang it um, A few, da- few weeks ago And said, hey, oh man, that's nasty Smell that He bends over, takes a big old whiff
1: Oh man Nasty, nasty food Wow Anyway Wow, yeah, that's pretty funny well, that, that's interesting about those beetles. I, I I never really knew what those were. Mm-hmm. I, I remember seeing them off and on, but I, I didn't really notice many of them until this year. I've seen
2: a few other kinds of beetles, and it may be that there's some years that there's more than others.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, we didn't have a very harsh, cold winter this year. We didn't, that's true. You know, I, I wonder if that's part of it. I know there's
2: definitely, like, you know, growing up, my dad would run a lot of times two or three different stink buckets. Yeah. And, um, you know, stink buckets were a really big thing, and I would see a lot of them then. I've seen other kinds of beetles in there too. I haven't looked at any of those. Those are just the ones that they stick out the most probably because the orange splotches on them.
1: Right, right. Interesting. And you know, something else I noticed this spring too, uh, while we're on the topic of insects Mm -hmm. and and bugs, is we have a lot more bees going around this year Mm -hmm. than than I noticed last year. Well, that's a good thing.
2: Yeah. Uh, because the bees help with, you know, with the, oh, yeah. the flowers yeah. and all yeah, the yeah, different all stuff. Yeah, all the pollination and things like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. It helps the crops and stuff.
1: Yeah, but I, I just remember you know, last year at work, usually we've got a couple cans of, uh, of bee killer. Right. When, when we have to do a job at work and go up in an attic somewhere, usually there's a big old, you know, wasp hive or beehive like somewhere. there's like three or
2: four freshly started ones or something. Right.
1: You know? And usually we have to have that bee spray in the van. But, uh, last year we didn't encounter any of those. Really, and this year we've got a couple of cans in the van because I've seen a lot more bees around.
2: You know, I, I have. I've seen quite. I feel like there's more this year than last year.
1: That's something to be on the lookout for if you're hiking through an old burn <laughs> or something on your on your hunt. And because uh, another thing, they you will come across inhabit. a big old ground nest or something, yeah, and you don't see it yeah. most of the time unless you, you see them flying in and out of a hole. You don't see it till they're going up
2: your pant leg. One good thing is most bees or wasps in Alaska are quite
1: docile. Hmm, well, um not the ones I've met.
2: Now you've got your your black hornets, <laughs> right? With okay. the, the they're the uh the bald faced or so they've got the white rings around them. Okay. Um those ones are pretty aggressive. I've seen a few those of those are also the most to be feared. Hmm. Those are, they're the biggest. They uh yeah. they're like a little they're bigger than like a horse fly, Yeah, right? yeah, I've I've seen several
1: of those. And those
2: ones can land on you and sting you multiple times quicker than you can count yeah. count to count to 3, right? Yeah. Um and uh, those ones. Now I've never been stung by one. Mm-hmm. I only know one or two people that I know for sure that I know of that have been stung by one. But yeah. Um. But a lot of like the uh, the yellow jackets and stuff. The yellow jackets can be a little uh, aggressive. Yeah. But there's there's some bees that look like yellow jackets. Mm-hmm. They look like a small one. And I've never. I don't know if I've ever had one of those even threaten me. I yeah. mean. I I one time was working on a deck mm-hmm. and this porch, you know, this guy wanted it like leveled out mm-hmm. because we were putting a roof on it or something. Yeah. And uh, so we go to level it out. We're like beating on it to get something loose or free or whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden we move over. We, so we move over to the corner. We start beating and there's just bees everywhere. So mm-hmm. there's a nest under the deck. Yeah. And they didn't bother us. They just really? flew all around us. Didn't hit, you know, an aggressive sign of when when a bee is actually aggressive or feels threatened, right. he'll start hitting you in the head. He'll like fly into your head multiple times. If You feel that? That's when you you know you do the bee dance, right? And
1: everybody thinks you're crazy. <laughs> you um, mean run?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, something they can usually catch up. But that's uh, when you take your unless hat you're,
1: you're on a ladder twenty feet, <laughs> there, like I usually am. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's just uh, that's yeah. usually when I have my bee moments as I'm trying to open up an attic hatch or going in and out of an attic. Mm-hmm. And I get swarmed. It's not like I can run away. Right. Yeah. Not a good, not a good, uh, not the, a good scenario. The,
2: the wood bees, which is the most predominant ones, those are the ones that are usually in the ground. They're mm-hmm. the ones you're going to find. They're, they're the ones you're going to find the most. And usually they don't bother you. Hmm. Like they may fly all around you and may really make you pee your pants.
1: Well, maybe, but, maybe I did something to make the bees mad as a child because, uh, yeah, the, the ones that I encounter always seem to try to attack me. But, uh, you know,
2: that's just what you think.
1: It could be, you maybe know, it could they, be all psychological. They, they're just they playing a mind and just want game to be with near me. you. I, I, you know, I do have a very bright count. This is kind of a
2: laid back episode.
1: Oh, definitely.
2: I, I like the way this is going.
1: So, on that topic, let's jump into our next laid back discussion. Okay. Right after this break. All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to stealthyhunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All stealthy hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Okay, this week you mentioned an article to me that, yes, I uh, that I found so compelling, not in a good way, <laughs> that I said, we've got to talk about this on the show. So
2: I was on my uh, phone and I've got the little like news thing that pops up, just mm. lists articles based on my recent Google searches and all that nonsense, right? Yeah. Um, you know, because the government's tracking us all regardless of what we try to do. Yeah. Um. So it pops up. There's usually a lot of hunting related stuff on there, which makes sense. Oh yeah. And uh, one pops up something. It says, uh, I'm going to pull it up right now so I can read the headline accurately. Okay. Uh, It says, where's it at? What did I do? Did I close that out? Really?
1: I have the headline right here. Oh, here
2: it is. One of the largest caribou herds in Alaska is careening toward extinction. Oh,
0: dun, dun, dun. Yeah.
2: Um, (laughs) Here's why experts say the current strategy to save them won't work. So a little back up just a little bit. This article is on the website of the Sierra Club, sierraclub.org.
1: Okay. What is the Sierra Club, Mariah?
2: Um, I'm not extremely familiar with the Sierra Club for I think obvious reasons, but they are a uh they they call themselves a, you know, they're climate friendly. I think I kind of get the imp- impression they're kind of a anti um uh I'm trying to think of the right word for it. They're 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 anti they're anti-hunting, That definitely anti-hunting. Okay. Um, I also kind of think they're kind of anti-impact on mm. the landscape. You right. know, they basically oppose any kind of the progress of man at all. Yeah. Um, Mining, of, things like that. Yeah, yeah. right. I mean, yeah. they've got a whole thing on climate and energy and uh, land and waters and all this stuff. And I'm sure there's some things that they might stand for that we might agree with a little bit. Hmm. I don't know. Uh, okay. They're not really my brand yeah. of, of of of
1: magazine. I'd but never heard of them until you mentioned them.
2: Sierra Club is a group that's got a magazine. That's where this article is. I don't know if I've ever read an article by them before. Um, I've known kind of who they were just based on information. Okay. That I've so heard.
1: just before we dive into what this article is talking about, mm-hmm. I just want to preface this by saying the only reason that we are going to discuss this right now yeah. is... You encountered this as a hunter, right? This popped up on your feed. You are not the only one in the hunting world that has seen this article. The reason that we're going to discuss this in uh, either in short form or long form, depending on how long this segment goes. Yeah. The reason that we're going to discuss it is in case somebody else out there that's listening to this read the article. And isn't familiar with Alaska, or maybe -hmm. maybe they live here, and they just don't know. Right. And we just want to kind of go over what we have a problem with here. So
2: I'll mention this is an Alaska-specific situation. They've got a ton of articles on all kinds of nonsense across the states that I wouldn't necessarily be able to be informed on. Mm -hmm. The source would make me question the information, Mm -hmm. but it's not really a place I would go for information. Yeah. I will say I clicked on the article because the uh, title Mm -hmm. made me go, huh. That looks yep. kind of weird.
1: Right. Clickbait.
2: Right. And so I, so I clicked on it to see what the nonsense was about. Mm-hmm. And at the time I had no idea we'd be talking about it on the podcast, but here we are.
1: So the article starts off by saying, in the past three decades, the Mulchatna caribou herd of Southwestern Alaska has gone from nearly 200,000 to 12,000. All right.
2: Let me stop you right there. Okay. So I have here pulled up a newsletter put out two years ago by Alaska Fish, Department of Fish and Game. Okay, and there is a segment of the newsletter that shows a graph of the Mulchatna caribou population. Now, Mm two hundred thousand is a lot of caribou; it is a very large herd. Mm -hmm. However, in nineteen forty-nine, when the first aerial survey was conducted, the population was estimated to be one thousand animals. Whoa! In nineteen sixty-five, the population was estimated to be six thousand, showing a growing herd. Intensive surveys in nineteen seventy-four. A estimated population of 13,000. looked like it dropped back down a little bit in around 1980. And then by the year, uh, in the mid-1990s into early 2000s, it peaked at 200,000 animals. Wow. And then it rapidly declined, about as rapidly as, it, as it, it, it went up slowly for a little while, and then it peaked, and then it declined very rapidly down to, today, I believe there's about 12,000 animals.
1: That's what the article says.
2: And a few years ago, there was a 30, 000, around 30,000 animals. Okay. Anyhow, go ahead.
1: Okay. So back to the article. It says, last year, the State Wildlife Agency's Board of Game, this is talking about Alaska, mm-hmm. started to explore ways to help the struggling population. It landed on a controversial solution called, quote-unquote, intensive management also called Predator Control, which directs wildlife officials to indiscriminately kill predators. Wow. It was the first time the state included bears in the hunt, a decision that had no public process and was conducted without bear population estimates. I
2: feel like we should talk about bear population estimates for a minute.
1: We were, <laughs>
2: yeah. the, the state of Alaska, I'm sure there's areas that have specific bear population estimates where they really work hard. Yeah. But it's going to be small areas. Mm -hmm. If you look it up, the State of Alaska, the the Department of Fish and Games website will say that Alaska has approximately 200,000 black bears in total, and they're in around 30,000 grizzly bears.
1: Is that what's on Fish and Games website? That's what's
2: on Fish and Games website. Okay. Now, what it does say is, basically does say that those are old studies. Mm Mm-hmm. And I will say, I believe there's probably 30,000 grizzly bears in unit 20.
1: <laughs> yeah, well. Or close to it. Could be. Definitely could be. And and right now, there's really no way of knowing.
2: There is not. It takes a lot of work to do these population estimates.
1: Right. Right. With a ever decreasing budget in Alaska. Correct. Bear studies from the air are not exactly top of the priority list.
2: Caribou are very easy to count.
1: Yes. Compared to bears. Right. Yes. On a relativity scale, that is absolutely correct. They have a hard enough time counting white sheep on the mountains, yeah, and they're way off on some of those numbers. Let alone the bear population, so, where you can't see most of them because they're in the brush all the time. Mm-hmm.
2: The other thing I was going to say about you know they say no public process and was conducted without bear population estimates. Mm-hmm. So without bear population estimates, we just talked about the feasibility of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the thing is when you if you go into an area, let's just say you had the ability to take a 10-square-mile area yep. and kill every bear, yeah, every black bear, every grizzly bear, mm-hmm. how long would it take for that area to be full of bears again?
3: Oh, um... A couple years? Maybe no, not as many.
2: You're not going to no. have as many bears. No. But I mean... Go ahead.
1: Yeah. and I, I was going to say, in a 10-square-mile area... Mm-hmm. As long as it, I mean, really, even that. Not,
2: not isolated. or you Right,
1: know. right. In, if you just took a block of heavily populated bear country mm-hmm. and killed every bear, if you set up a fence, a 40-foot fence that they couldn't go over, through, or under, and you killed every bear in there, okay? Yeah. I, I, I would give it, if you did that in the spring, I would say it's full again by fall. Because, bears, be that
2: fast. because bears move. It, that's what I was going to say. They don't, They're gonna they are go where places. the food is. If, right. if, if you kill all the predators in area. And 10 and square
1: it, miles is nothing.
2: There's going to be a population boom there for a very short period of time. Yeah. Which is going to bring bears in, more bears in. Mm-hmm. So I, I want, you know, without bear population estimates, there's going to be a lot of bears in 10 square miles.
1: Yeah. Now, one other thing that I wanted to mention about this before we keep delving into this and kind of fleshing out this nonsense in this okay. article. Is We explained in the previous episode, I don't remember which episode it was, but not too long ago we talked about caribou and their cyclical um, uh, population numbers, mm-hmm. right The 40 mile herd, for instance, right is um, uh, as, as it's relayed to us, is in decline right now, okay? The Nelchina herd is in decline, mm-hmm. um, e- even more so than the 40 mile, but by quite a bit, right. And now, while these areas are still open to hunting, like the 40 miles registration permit, the Nelchina herd is a draw permit. It's getting harder and harder to get that tag for the Nelchina herd because they are shrinking from what has traditionally been for a long time, that herd number. Mm -hmm. They spike, they eat out their food source, and they crash. They have a couple of hard winters. Not a lot of the calves survive. Then they eat out their food source. They change their migration patterns. Maybe they get a little bit hit harder by predators for a few years. Right. They just crash. That's just what happens. Maybe some disease moves its way through the herd, and they just a lot of them just die off. It's very, very uncommon, and we, and we haven't seen it in quite a while, Where at least to my knowledge. And, and for anybody out there that mm-hmm. might correct me if I'm wrong, feel free to do so and write us an email if you know something different. But to my knowledge, every major caribou herd goes through this in recent times that we've been able to document it. They crash, they go to low numbers or what we think are low numbers, and then within 10 to 15 years, they're right back up to mm-hmm. full capacity.
2: Well, and something to also to mention is if you have a herd that's booming, yeah. you're going to have a predator, predator population to match. Right. And then as the herd declines, mm-hmm. the predator population will continue to grow until the herd crashes so much that it can't support the predator population, you see it with smaller animals. And they move off, yeah. And and, yeah. and and you don't necessarily see it. I don't think you see it in the states as much with like whitetail and things because it's just a whole different situation than like right. a caribou herd, right? But um, that right. that's a huge huge thing that affects it all. If you're a trapper, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. There's like a four right. or five year cycle.
1: Predator and prey swings where the prey right.
2: goes up, and a few years later the prey is gone,
1: mm-hmm. and then
2: like once after the prey dies off. The predators die off. Once Mm -hmm. the predators die off, guess what? The prey comes back. The prey comes back. And then then the predators come back. Right. And it just continues to cycle like that.
1: Right. That that predatory cycle. So with that being in mind, Mm -hmm. when I look at that graph that you pulled up, okay, I'm not concerned about the current numbers.
2: I'm not either. Not
1: at all. Now, with that in mind though. There are a lot of books written about the Molchatna in that 90s to early 2000s mm-hmm. era. A lot of outfitters really did well back in that time. And um, th- 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 there are a few names that I could throw out there of guides that had even written in their books about guiding caribou hunts in the Molchatna herd. And, th- and they, were, they were killing all kinds of caribou, and it was just the ultimate heyday, and there was so many animals, and then it just crashed. And obviously that's not going on anymore because most of it is just shut they, down now. I
2: believe they shut most of it all down. But.
1: Right. But if you look at the history of it, okay, mm-hmm. if you look at the history of the herd, back to when? The 1940s, you 1949. said? So from about 1970 or 80 is when we see it kind of hit that five to 6,000 mark. And then it goes up and then it's around 12,000. From when it hit 12,000 was about, what, 50 years ago?
2: Right, let me look again.
1: Since we've been tracking it. And keep in mind, back in the 1950s oh, and 60s. Okay, so 74, it hit 12,000.
0: Anything,
1: anything before that, I would be uh, pretty skeptical of how extensive of flying research they were, that they were doing back at that time. You think? How much resource did, did, did they have? How, how many resources did they have to dump into aerial surveys of caribou, right? Were Mm -hmm. they using the same counting formula? Were they having the same amount of pilots out? Um, Did they have the technology and ultimately the money to fund research projects like this? So it's possible, at least in my mind, that Mm -hmm. even back into the 50s and 60s, there were more caribou than they think there were, right? Now, that's all just pie in the sky at this point. It doesn't matter. Even back till 1974, which is pushing 50 years now, okay? 49 years ago, I believe, 1974, Mm -hmm. okay? 50 years ago, it was at the number that it's at right now. And from 74 until the early to mid-90s, it was about the same, right? Mm -hmm. It fluctuated a little bit up and down, but it still stayed relatively close to that 12,000 mark.
2: Up until about 1980, and that's when it really started to climb for about 10 years.
1: So from 1980 to 1990, what's the number difference?
2: Um, it doesn't give specific numbers, but it looks like by about 1990, you're close to 100,000. So from
1: 1980 to 1990, it had gone from 12,000 to 100,000. And then by the mid-90s, we were up around 200,000. 200, right. So that's an exponential increase. Yeah. Now, I would be really curious to know, and that this, that this might not even be any hard data, but there are records of other caribou herds joining up with different herds Mm -hmm. over time. And I heard a theory about this with the mulchatna that one of the other herds had a big group that broke off and merged in with the mulchatna, and that's why it boomed, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, even if that didn't happen, even if the mulchatna just all of a sudden blasted off from 12,000 to 200,000 animals, Okay, that's not normal, right? By the history of it, 200,000 is not your normal average number, but people got used to it. And people are short memory um, based when it comes to populations. People are only concerned about what's happened in their time of hunting. So if somebody came to Alaska in the 90s and hunted the Molchatna nonstop, and then it just crashed out to twelve thousand. Mm-hmm. Well, we have to remember: fifteen years ago, or, 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 or twenty years before it crashed in the in the early two thousands, when it started to go back down towards more traditional numbers. Twenty years before that, the numbers were the exact same as they were right at that moment there in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And now we have people that are just freaking out because they're at twelve thousand and they're not regrowing right now.
2: Well, so the state- caribou
1: are cyclical. They are. That's just my point.
2: Although the state believes the area can easily support a population of 30 to 80,000, and they, they want to try to maintain that. Obviously, it can't support 200,000. I would easily believe that they ate themselves out and crashed. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, but And there, so they want to try to support it at 30 to 80,000, and then we can really start hunting it again with nice bag limits. And, right. And, and lots
1: of caribou. Right. Obviously, it won't be like 200,000, but... Now, here's the other thing to think about. Mm-hmm. What else was going on? in the 70s and 80s that is not really going on as much right now. Intense predator control. Right. Aerial shooting of wolves. That's
3: okay. true. That A is true. A lot
1: of that was going on back in those days. A lot of it. Okay. That, is very true. that was the Wild West days when technology was just starting to come into its own by that time. But the laws hadn't quite caught up to that yet. And aerial shooting was allowed for a long time in that period. And It worked well. It it did work well, obviously. The herd grew to almost a quarter million after being stable at about 12,000. Right. Now, can it support more caribou, according to Fish and Game? Yes. So, if we go off of that, Fish and Game decided that the way that they want to try to aid the caribou Mm -hmm. and help with calf survival rate and give them a better chance with a little bit less predation, perhaps, is to, obviously, knock off some predators. Yeah. And the Sierra Club has a problem with that. They do. So, I'm going to jump back into this paragraph here. In the past three decades... The Mulchatna caribou herd of southwestern Alaska. Okay, I think we already covered that from from 200,000 to 12,000.
2: I read that whole paragraph.
1: It landed on a controversial solution, intensive management. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then this sentence. It was the first time the state had included bears in the hunt, a decision that had no public process and was conducted without bear population estimates. Nearly every local environmental group and credible scientists opposed the plan. At one of the hearings, one state wildlife biologist even said that killing predators isn't what's needed to help this dwindling herd. The executive uh, director Nicole Schmidt uh, of some alliance, it was the only time in recent memory that the Board of Game, which sets wildlife policy, went against the recommendation of state wildlife biologists. The killing spree, <laughs> the killing spree lasted 17 days from May 10th to June 4th. In the end, five black bears, five wolves, and 94 brown bears, nearly the entire estimated population for the area, were killed. 94 brown bears? In, in, in what area? It
2: doesn't say. How,
1: how big is this area?
2: Maybe the area they were specifically hunting.
1: Right. I, I mean... I, if they were only flying a, a small, you know, number of square miles. Right. But it's very vague. And my point here is it's sensationalism. They're pumping it up to be like this mass execution of predators. And there was not a bear left, a wolf left in sight of this caribou mm-hmm. herd. That is not what happened I mean, here.
2: We are talking unit 18, unit 19, unit 17, and portions of unit 9
1: Yeah, that this herd
2: populates. Right. That's a large area. That is a huge area. 12,000 caribou is
1: not a lot of caribou. Spread that thin. Spread that thin, correct. Right. So which spot did they pick, right? Who knows, right? Even if they only shot bears in unit nine, if they're saying that 94 brown bears is the entire estimated population for the area, that right there alone is enough to throw that to throw that whole argument out the window. Right. Obviously, we have a serious beef with how this is written to begin with, but- the, 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 the notion that 94 brown bears is the entire population of the area in any one of those given units where the caribou herd goes is complete nonsense.
2: Yeah, you can look at this as like a fact check that we're doing on this article. Yeah. We really don't care about the article. We don't no. care about this website.
1: I just Um, want folks to know that it's pie in the sky. It's kind
2: of a it's a fact check specifically to get you thinking. Like when you see an article and it's something that you're not familiar with. Obviously, this would go for anything in life, but specifically hunting. Yeah, if you see an article and it really tries to make some kind of hunting look really bad, Mm -hmm. do some research.
1: Yeah, just like the article a couple of months ago Mm -hmm. talking about Alaska to ban the use of donuts for bear bait. Well, there's no context in that, in, in that title, right? Right. It was a federal order to ban the use of bear bait in general, I believe, on some of the state preserve land something or like state that, yeah. park or mm-hmm. something like that. Also, the taking of cubs will be illegal. Well, that's always been illegal. That's is. That's been in the regs forever. Right. It, it, it's, it's illegal to take a sow with cubs. Mm-hmm. It's just illegal. It's already in the regs for us, right. but the feds put their own twist on it to make it look like they were coming in as the hero and saving the mama bear and the baby bears. And also it paints the picture of the use of donuts for bear bait will be banned in Alaska. That makes it sound like we're just out there making these bears fat and giving them all diabetes, right? Like it just found, it, it just sounds bad. Like, oh, well, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be feeding bears donuts and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, that, that's that's none of your business for one thing. Bear bait is bear bait, but also we're not shooting sows with cubs. Mm-hmm. And then it also talked about um, den hunting in certain areas right. and being able to kill bears at or in their den, which for, for all of us um, non-natives to the state is already illegal. That's right. And even a lot of the native population of Alaska can't do it unless you live in a specific area. It's a
2: traditional use. It's only legal as traditional use practice. Right. Because the state of Alaska is very good at protecting traditional use hunting. Correct.
1: And I have all the respect for the game laws in the world in Alaska that allow some of these um, native Alaskan folks Mm -hmm. to be able to have some privileges that we don't. Right. That's fine. I don't have a single problem with that. And I don't know anybody that really does either. Okay. But that's already in the law. We already have that established. But the point is, the New York Times, I believe it was. uh, I I I don't know. This has been like two. This has been a few months ago at this point. But it just sticks out in my mind as another great example of this kind of journalism. Mm -hmm. This sensationalist title, that this clickbaity stuff that people read. And if you're not from Alaska, then it makes us sound like we're just the wild, unregulated West up here. It does, and that's not the case. So I'll read on in my frustration. Try not to make this into a rant, but it says, in quotation marks, The state has adopted this really archaic view of wildlife management with predators, end of quotations, said Schmidt, whose organization opposed the coal. Back in quotes, it's totally misguided. I don't think anyone who looks at the research can conclude that... Predator control is going to benefit the Mulchatna herd in the long term, end of quote. Alaska has used intensive management purposes to suppress bear and wolf populations since the 1990s. It's been a lot longer than that, when legislators mandated it to boost populations of moose, deer, and caribou and animals that the state would prefer people to hunt. In 2011, the board authorized the first targeted wolf hunt to help the waning Mulchatna herd. However, the herd continued to decline, suddenly plummeting in 2017, leaving scientists, tribes, and conservation groups wondering why. Okay.
2: So, that whole thing with 2011 and 2017? Yeah. Um, so, 2011, it dropped down. I, I don't. There's not specific numbers, but I'm looking at this chart, and it looks like around 2011, it really started to drop. From what to what? It doesn't say. I can give you some estimates here. I'm going to
1: say... Just on the line graph.
2: I'm gonna say thirty thousand. Well, not even thirty. Twenty-five thousand to fifteen thousand. Okay. 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 Um, and it, it, so that would be from 2011. You know, uh, that'd be around 2011, probably. Okay. okay, that's when they implemented some wolf hunting to help the herd. Mm-hmm. Notice I said wolf, not wolf. Um, Great job. The next couple of years, the herd went back up. Mm -hmm. in population, and then it declined again.
1: Okay. So in 2020, this is back in the article, a group of state biologists were commissioned to study the vanishing herd. Vanishing, such a strong word. They found that the most salient reasons for the decline are disease and poor body condition, which can be attributed to the lack of food. Brucellosis, a close relative of mad cow disease, is a naturally occurring disease that causes lameness, infertility and low birth rates. Caribou can withstand low infection levels, but wildlife officials found that over a third of the tested animals had brucellosis. Wolves and bre- Okay, now here here we go. This is where I'm really going to mm. Wolves and bears prey on sick animals, playing a key role in keeping herds of caribou healthy. Without them, the hip, the hypothesis goes, brucellosis was able to infect more caribou which could offer insight into why the number of sick animals coincidentally shot up following large-scale wolf hunting. By 2017, nearly 250 wolves had been killed and the caribou herd tanked. The conclusion was clear. Fewer predators does not equal more caribou. In quotes, one mistaken belief regarding predation is that An individual killed by predators would still be alive if that predator had been removed, said Nick Dima, a state wildlife biologist, during a hearing on the research findings. Back in quotes, this overly simplistic view of predator prey dynamics ignores the concepts of predisposition in compensatory mortality, end quote. Now, let's just back this up a little bit. Wolves and bears prey on sick animals. Wrong. You tell me if that's right or wrong.
2: Well, I would say they prey on any animal of opportunity. And if there's a sick animal, they're going to kill it.
1: If it's an easy one to get at, then sure. But how many times have you come across a wolf kill of a full-grown, fully mature, fully healthy animal that is dead? They reach into it, they rip the guts out, and they walk away and leave most of it laying there. Oh, yeah. Uh, More often than not, that's what I've seen. Okay? Okay.
2: Yeah, here just just why just since we're on the topic of wolves killing caribou and ripping the guts out and eating what they want and leaving it rest laying there, that's exactly what they do. They don't by any means, unless they're very, very hungry, they usually don't just kill an animal, eat the whole thing, and move on to another one. No. They kill it, eat some of it, and then they move on. And they kill another one, eat some of it, and they move on.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've come across strings of caribou where there's five or six dead caribou that are just dead that they didn't even take a bite out of. Wow. And they killed another one, you know, a couple miles up the ridge. Mm-hmm. And you follow the trail of them, and eventually they ate part of one and they just left. They just kill because that's just what they do. They're predators. That's right. just what they're and, wired and no, to they're do. no, they're not
2: just coming back and eating them later or trying to save them Absolutely for that's not.
1: That's not what they do. Absolutely not. Now, it says here, by 2017, nearly 250 wolves had been killed and the caribou herd tanked. What they're not telling you is that when they re-implemented wolf hunting in 2011,
2: the herd started the herd went back, back up before tanking.
1: Several thousand animals it went back up, mm-hmm. and then it tanked. They're not telling you that. Right. They're saying by 2017, nearly 250 wolves had been killed, and the caribou herd tanked. Period. I will say, End of statement. So,
2: Mr. Nick Dema or Dema, um. They've got a couple quotes from him here. Mm -hmm. However, I really do not believe, based on some other information I've seen, that he is necessarily siding with the fact that predator control is wrong. I think they're just using some quotes of his to make it sound like he is.
1: Well, he calls it an archaic view of predator-prey relationship. He didn't
2: call it that. That was somebody else.
1: Oh, but maybe that was the other biologist. Okay, well, that,
2: that was uh, somebody else related to.
1: No, animals. no, Nick Dima, right here. This overly simplistic view of predator-prey dynamics ignores the concept of predisposition yes, and compensatory mortality. But what
2: I'm saying is that's a quote from him. Mm-hmm. But he probably he there's a very good chance he's not completely against predator control. He's just trying to say that's not the only necessarily the only issue. Right. Okay. I think that's what he's saying because i can get the benefit of the information. There. That has well, shown that he does not necessarily
1: oppose it. The bottom line here is that, uh, that, that they have another round of wolf and bear hunt scheduled for the spring of 2024, this mm-hmm. next year, um, according to Fish and Game. Um, they will do a calf count this year and see, who, see how many survived through the summer season and base their predator control management program for the following spring and through the winter based off of the calf survival rate. So, if the numbers aren't doing great, then they're going to kill more predators. Mm-hmm. Um, pour it on is my advice.
2: Yeah. So, back to the state's newsletter on the mulch and the caribou herd. Mm-hmm. This summer, this was two years ago, this summer, Dema Dick Dema completed his last field season of his 10-year study aimed at estimating cat- caribou calf survival. Estimates of survival fell within ranges observed by in other North American caribou herds. Predation by brown bears and wolves was a leading cause of death during calves' first few weeks of life.
1: Isn't that interesting?
2: Isn't that interesting? And like I said, I don't think he's really against the predator control yeah. thing. They just took some quotes from him.
1: It's easy to read this article as an outsider if you're not yeah. involved in the hunting world in Alaska. Whether you live here or not, it's easy for someone, your average Joe, to read this article mm-hmm. and say, How dare they! Kill Yogi the Bear and all these, you know, uh, spirit animal wolves because they're on the front of every T-shirt in front of a full moon howling, and people just have this connection to predators. Right. I don't know why that is. I I really don't know why that is, but people look at predators and predator control, it, it, what they're calling intensive predator management, mm-hmm. and they look at that through a different lens. If you go out to a monoculture crop. Farm Mm -hmm. In the lower 48, where they're growing, whether it's just soybean or corn or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, man, when they plow that land and they till all that up and they spray it down with insecticides, how many thousands of insects and animals and everything else, how many groundhogs and raccoons and birds and bees... And bugs under the ground, mm-hmm. do they just mulch up and kill? And nobody even blinks. I don't care necessarily either about killing well, animals in the right context. Say, just, However, I don't agree with the monoculture cro- uh, crop design either in the extent that it's being used. People saying that they're vegan and, and they're not killing um, animals, that justification is completely out the window
2: for me. I don't feel like we need to get into all that right now. Um, yeah, sure. I've got, I've got some thoughts and opinions on how all that's done. That's not what we're, what our podcast is about.
1: Right. But it's, it's easy to get off on the whole thing. It it is. But this can appear in front of somebody who doesn't understand the Alaska game dynamic. Mm -hmm. Right. Who's not involved in the hunting industry. Right. And it's easy to be deceived by an article like this because, okay, they've got a few people from the board of game and it's easy to think that we are against this. And ADF and G is just this rebel organization that's out there just killing predators. And that's not how it is. So I, I, I guess the bottom line is we were so frustrated with this article that we felt like it, uh, it should be on the podcast. I thought
2: so too. I will I, say there's one th- problem I have with the predator control the state has done in there. Okay. And it's a problem I have with predator control that the state's done more recently in general. Okay. Predator control used to be, in, the, in the occasional cases it still is, but it used to not only be the state spending money to kill predators, they used to open it to hunters. Mm-hmm. And I haven't you know, looked to see what all the recent stuff is, but I know a few years ago, there was some stuff in an area near Toke where you could kill as many grizzly bears as you wanted, mm. as you could off of a bear bait. Or something. Mm. I can't, it may have been a flying area. This was several years ago, it may have been more than a few years ago it was going to be a hard area to get to. We're taking a lot of money and time. And I was actually, it was a while ago because I was quite young at the time. Mm -hmm. But I remember my dad talking about that, wanting to do that and wishing he could figure out how to get the state to pay him to do that. (laughs) But, um, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing because if you, if they opened it up, so Alaska residents could go into an area and just indiscriminately kill as many bears as we wanted to, (laughs) um, We could really make a dent in that population and do it at no cost to the state. Right. You know, aside aside from some troopers making sure we're doing our job, but they got to, you know, and doing it right, but they got to do that anyway.
1: To my knowledge, they do still give out aerial wolf killing permits.
2: I'm talking more just the the stuff that allows guys like you and me who aren't going to go hire an aircraft to kill wolves. I'm talking about being able to go bear bait in the spring in an area and mm. just kill as many grizzly bears as hit our bait, as many as we see. Yeah. And spend some weeks out there and really put in a dent. Because they killed 94 in 17 days, right? Yeah. And that was probably, I imagine a lot of that was aerial. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm sure most of it was, yeah.
2: We could kill, with, with a few guys and some effort and some work, we yeah. could kill a lot of bears. We wouldn't maybe necessarily be able to make that dent, mm-hmm. but for a lot less money, We could kill a
1: lot of bears. Yeah. Yeah. For the cost of gas that that we're happily going to pay for to be able to hunt to to that Mm -hmm. extent. Right. But anyway, the point is, be careful what you read. Always read things in context. Don't just click on any any article that has a catchy title about Alaska hunting and be deceived by it.
2: That's right.
3: There's
1: a whole lot of fake news and nonsense out there. And I don't use that term lightly. I I don't think that every... I, I, I don't think that uh, everything that I don't agree with is fake news. Mm-hmm. However, there is a lot of propaganda-like media about Alaska hunting, and, uh, and, and predator control is a touchy subject, you know, whether it's wolves in the low 48 yes. or wolves and grizzly bears up here.
2: Hunting predators in general can be a touchy subject with a right. lot of people.
1: Right. Yeah. I, 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 we don't need to talk anymore about that right now. But on to some listener questions right after this break. Alright folks, I want to take a second to tell you about a product I found this last year and have absolutely fallen in love with. It's the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. I used one on a recent blacktail deer hunt in southeast Alaska, and it did a great job of keeping the saltwater and debris out of the action and also protecting the scope of my rifle from getting knocked around and damaged. On top of all that, the carry handle made it easy to transport the rifle to and from the boat during the hunt. When it got wet from rain and ocean spray, I hung it up at camp to dry at night, and it was always dry in 20 minutes or less. Stealthy Hunter also offers a wide variety of nutritional supplements for the outdoorsman, such as CBD oils, essential vitamins, turmeric, and bone broth. In the gear shop, they also have a lightweight first aid kit, glassing pads, and stuff sacks to organize your gear and your pack. Go check out Stealthy Hunter's website and use the code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout to get a discount on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA.
0: Hey guys, if you've listened to the show for any amount of time, you've likely heard Dalton and I go back and forth about bullet construction Now, how I like rapid expanding bonded core bullets that leave massive wound channels. I've also stated I would never use a monolithic bullet. Well, I'm here to tell you about the company that finally changed my mind. Hammer Bullets produces what I would consider the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are designed so that after penetrating the height of an animal, the front half of the bullet explodes, shedding its petals and imparting massive damage to the vital areas while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration, effectively closing the gap between lead core and monolithic construction. The guys at Hammer designed these bullets with 100% focus on how they perform once they reach their destination. But don't let that fool you. These bullets have amazing VCs and have specialized pressure groups built in for amazing inherent accuracy. They have a minimum velocity rating of 1,800 feet per second, which allows for long-range shots, but have no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 30-30 to the high-velocity rounds like the Weatherby 3378, without having to worry about your bullet failing. They've also recently partnered with Weatherby to provide factory ammunition for a multitude of cartridges. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com to buy yours today and drop the hammer on your next adventure.
1: Okay, so we'll fire off a few listener questions here and wrap this one up. Uh, Our question here is from Ryan. And uh, he had the question in the last episode about the Stone Glacier Cirque Vest that we answered. One of the other questions from the email is, uh, I'm trying to plan a seven to nine day float trip for caribou slash moose in 2025 with some friends in the interior, fly in and boat and, and float to a road or fly in, float to a town and fly out type of deal, whatever works. We're pretty excited in backcountry, uh, pretty experienced, I'm sorry, in backcountry wilderness hunting for elk, bear, and deer down here in Montana, Colorado, Idaho, etc. What suggestions would you have for success on a float trip? I'm not a trophy hunter. I enjoy the experience and a full freezer over antlers. Lastly, I would like to make hunting in Alaska an annual trip. Black bear, moose, caribou. With that knowledge of making this an annual thing, not just a one-time float hunt, would your advice for me be different? There's a couple of questions woven in there that, uh, that we can talk about. Advice for a, for a fly-in and float to a road or fly out and, and float to a town and fly out from there. Um, well, I think of, of the three of us here, we haven't done a whole lot of float hunting, to be honest with you. That's mm-hmm. not something that we really have put a lot of time into. Um, mainly because we have other areas to access and in, in by, by different means. Um, float hunting for moose um, and caribou, you know, that, that's going to mm-hmm. be a northern part of the state deal. Um, you're looking at way up north where those seasons overlap, where you can shoot either or. Right. Right. Um, I I mean, as far as advice goes, I would probably stick to the second half of September. You know, try yeah. Try, yeah. try to stick it out when it's colder. And, uh, I you know, agree. probably, probably find a good spot, find a good gravel bar, look for some scrapes in the alders or, or I'm sorry, in the willows as you're going down the river. Mm-hmm. Um, keep an eye out for that, for some willows that are all rubbed up and busted from, a, from a willows or the small spruce trees. From, yeah. From, pieces. from a bull raking around on the river bank, looking for cows. And when you find a spot that has a lot of sign, it maybe it's a scrape and a lot of tracks on the bank. Mm-hmm. Find a good camp spot that you can get your tents up off the river a bit, back into some brush, and kind of hide them. And uh, spend a couple days there calling, and then move on. But, but I, I would say give it a couple days at least before you move on, and do a lot of calling. Um, I think we talked about some moose hunting in the last episode, maybe it was the one before that, about calling early and late. It was in reference to the archery hunter in right. Unit uh, 15 or 16, right. um, down there on the peninsula. Uh, on on the Kenai. So the the same thing applies. Uh, Moose hunting for calling tactics is always going to be the same. You call the early, early hours of the morning and then call about an hour after light. And then in the evening, call the last two hours of light or or at least the last hour and a half of light, Mm -hmm. preferably the two hours before light and then a little bit after dark. And hopefully you bring a bull out. If, if you start getting responses, then stick it out for a bit. Try to get him to come out. You know, don't leave after two days if on the night of, of the second day right, right. you start getting a response. Those moose can hear a call from a long ways away. And sometimes it takes them quite a while to come in if he already has mm-hmm. cows. Or if he's just, you know, if it's hot weather and he's not traveling very far. Right. It can take him a couple days sometimes to get into where they'll, you're calling. They'll
2: hear you and will come from a long ways away.
1: It's shocking. You can look out across a flat at a bowl bedded in the evening and grunt three times and he might be literally a mile and a half away Mm -hmm. and he'll stand up and look it seeming seems like he's looking right back at you through your binoculars he knows exactly where you're at and it's not unheard of and it's actually common that if you call from the same spot which we all recommend calling from the same Mm -hmm. spot every time from your camp if you call from the same spot every time, you're going to have a bull. When he does come in, if there is a bull that comes in to that call, right. he will come right to that spot. It is uncanny their ability to find exactly where you were. I can't explain it, but they have satellite dishes for amplifiers for their That's ears. True. It's insane their ability to track back to a call.
2: I will make a comment. He, he says, I'm not a trophy hunter. I enjoy the experience and a full freezer over antlers.
1: Okay. The bigger your antlers, the
2: fuller your freezer.
1: Well, the other thing is, uh, I, 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 just, I, just I, I believe that he's sound. a non-resident, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. When, as a non-resident, you're legally required in that part of the state, and, and in any part of the state, it has to be 50 inches. Right. 50-inch spread on the antlers or four brow tine in that area. So you're already in that trophy class. Any legal bull that meets fifty inches or four brow tines isn't is is a great trophy,
2: and 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 there's going to be more meat there. You're going to be shocked. And uh,
1: now some some smaller racked bulls, but because as residents we can hunt some any bull areas. Mm-hmm. But I I've I've seen some smaller rack size bulls that have just monstrous full grown bodies. Yeah, it's not it, it's not always that way. Uh, and, and some people will tell you that, uh, that, that, a spike fork bowl will taste a lot better than a 50 incher. I've never had a bad moose that, that, that mm. I know of, and I've had some 60 plus inch moose that I've a, eaten.
2: I say a younger moose typically is a little more tender, just like
1: any animal. Really. Right. Right. I, I can definitely see that. But
2: you'll easily get double the amount of meat, if not more.
1: Definitely can. Yeah. And so, so that's a big and, thing. And it's all about field care too. If you're worried right. about the meat and all that, you know, don't, don't get it dirty, don't get it muddy, keep it clean, keep it dry, right. keep it well ventilated, you know, hang it, get some airflow around it whenever possible. If you're floating out and you're camping every night, you know, obviously you're going to have to stop at night to, uh, to camp somewhere, mm-hmm. hang that meat or at least get it on a meat rack, you know, build a little spruce pole rack on the bank and let airflow get around it so you're not just stacking it in the boat every single night and mm-hmm. leaving it there. Don't do that. Um, yeah, I so, saw
2: I saw a T-shirt that relates to this question a little bit the other uh, a while back. It said "trophy eater."
1: I really like that. Yeah, that's that's not a bad one. Yeah, but anyway, so for yeah, for, yeah, for a non-resident, fifty-inch mm-hmm. four browtine in that area. Um, as far as caribou goes, on a float trip, they're either going to be there or they're not. Yeah. Um. If if you see a lot of them flying in there and they're crossing the rivers, then you better make hay while the sun shines because I I've I've literally seen. Where you're floating along and you see caribou for a few days, and you think, "All oh, right, yeah, we we can pass some of these up for a nicer bowl," and then you don't see any for the rest of the trip.
2: Yeah, and usually, even as a non-resident, you're allowed what at least two caribou, depending on the area. You're I believe
1: in. that area of the state. I I I think if he's if he's going to that area that I'm thinking of, I think it is two caribou for a non-resident. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's more for us, but um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, The next thing is uh, what suggestions um, for making this an annual thing, not just a one-time float hunt. Would your advice for me be different? Um, Book your air transporter for the following year or three or four years out as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. If you want to go back to the same spot and really develop a good area, don't just book him for 2025. Have a slammer of a hunt and then say, all right, I want to come back next year. And he says, oh, I'm sorry, I'm booked for the next three years. If you want to do it at least two years in a row, mm-hmm. then you better book the following year as soon as you financially are able. I would say
2: uh, if you're going to make it an annual thing, especially if you're going to make it an annual float hunt. Yeah. Um, If you float this area and you like the area, when you're floating it, float it looking at areas for when you come back. Yes. Right. Look um, for
1: vantage points on the yeah, river to get up off If there's a spot the that's
2: really beat up by moose, mm-hmm. by rutting bulls, mark really good chance that's the way it's going to be next year. Yep. And exactly, mark it on, on some maps or with a GPS so that yep. you can find it and exactly. not come back next year going, where was that? Oh, exactly. I'm looking for this tree. Well, you know, that, <laughs> trees oh. along rivers have a, a bad habit of falling in. Yep. Um, yep.
1: That's a great point.
2: And uh, the other thought I had with that was, especially with the caribou, if you're planning on coming back, don't pass up a, a, a small caribou no. just for, just cause you, like you said, cause you want me, he says he does, he's not a trophy hunter, but I know how easy it can be to get out somewhere and think, Oh, I'm not a trophy hunter. Right. You start looking at animals and you think, Oh, but I do want to shoot a big one. Cause I think I can. Right. If you're coming back, shoot the first ones that especially caribou present an opportunity. You'll have your caribou, you'll have the right. experience.
1: That's how I look at caribou hunting and deer hunting personally. And have,
2: mo- most of the work with, with moose. Yeah, even with caribou, some is is cutting them up and getting them. Yep. to your boat.
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. I would yep.
2: say listen to the podcast with Brian because
1: mm-hmm.
2: we talked a lot about flow hunting in that one, didn't we?
1: I believe we did.
2: Or was that on his podcast?
1: Um, one or the other. I I don't remember. I I think it might have been when he was on our show. I believe so. Possibly. Um, I, I, I was going to echo the exact same thing, you know, as, as residents, we all have multiple caribou tags in a lot of units and Mm -hmm. multiple blacktail deer tags. Our policy is when we get out on a caribou or a deer hunt, we know we're going to have more than one animal to shoot for the most part. So the first one that we get a chance at, we shoot it for insurance so that we don't go home empty handed in case the weather rolls in, you know, that way you go home with meat. Mm Mm-hmm. That's, that's my approach. So if you go out and you have two caribou tags and a moose tag per person, man, the first group of caribou that you have that there's some legal animals in, where, where it's, it's going to be bull only, I believe. Um, just shoot the first respectable mature bull that you can right. and just get the experience of it. Learn how to cut it up as you do it. You're going to make mistakes on it. Um, if you end up down the road saying, you know what? I really like those caribou hides. I think they're really pretty. Mm-hmm. I'd like to get a shoulder mount. You don't want to skin one for the first time and try to cape out a nice big uh, caribou bull for the first time um, without anybody else there that knows what they're doing, right? Right. So just take advantage of your opportunities and don't pass up legal animals is my advice. The
2: other thing I would say is bring, if you use your phone or whatever you use, every time you're on that float hunt and you think, man, I should have brought this, Mm -hmm. write it down. Because as much as you think you're going to remember it the next day Mm -hmm. or a year later, you're not. Yeah. Or you might remember three of the dozen things you thought of. Mm -hmm. And you're going to remember it when you're out there on the river the next year. Yeah. And you're going to be kicking yourself.
1: Yeah. Now, depending on where you float, Mm -hmm. as far as mapping goes, just kind of while we're on that subject, depending on where you float and how um, finicky the river is, if it's a nice Relatively shallow river that's kind of mild and easy going, and there's no real whitewater class rivers in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really going to be to your benefit to track your course on the river because, you know, marking which fork to go down or uh, gravel bar or things like that, where, where, where the river might split and then it gets into a log jam or whatnot, that'll all be different next year when you come back. All of it. What I would mark. Is some of the little river bends that go off that lo- that that look like a main channel, mm-hmm. but just dead end and into like a little corner slough right. or like an oxbow. You might think that the river goes straight ahead, and then you get in there, and it's just a dead beaver pond, right? Then you got to row back out to the current or get out and drag it back out to the current. Right. So definitely try to mark those as you go if you encounter them. Um, a lot of that can just be solved by looking at your maps every once in a while on the go and just kind of looking at what's ahead. And you can kind of predetermine where you want to stay in the main channel that way. Um, but, you know, be, be obviously very careful. Um, I would recommend wearing a life jacket. Mm-hmm. I know we've said this before on the show, but water kills more people in Alaska than anything else does. So be very, very careful uh, being on the river just because it might be a nice shallow river. Um, And by shallow, I mean generally 10 feet or less. Mm -hmm. Just because it's that shallow doesn't mean that if you fall in, you're going to be able to get back out. You can fall in, sink to the bottom, get hooked on a log on the bottom by your boot lace and drown.
2: I mean, and keep in mind, we're talking cold water too. Very cold water. Extremely cold. Even during the heat of summer, it might be 85 degrees, which it probably won't be at the end of September. Probably not. But let's say you're having a hot day because it's Alaska, weird Mm -hmm. things happen. Um, and it's 80 degrees outside. Mm-hmm. The water's still going to be, what, yeah. 35 degrees or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I was going to say, at the warmest, and, it might be 40, And when but you hit that not. water, your body, you think you're going to just, you know, instant reaction. Yeah. And many times it just... You can't breathe. The chill yeah. hits your body so fast. Yeah, you, you can't breathe. It takes a minute to breathe. It takes a minute to even, or, or a few moments. Right. To you just to, go into shock. Yeah. Exactly. To to get your senses and get yourself out of the water. And then you're going to be shivering.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. But be very careful with that. I would recommend carrying some type of a PFD, whether it's something that you wear around your waist that you have a little pull mm-hmm. cord on or a full on life jacket it just depends on what you want to wear. If you can find like an old fashioned style float coat, that's kind of a parka length um, float coat. You can find some of those old ones used online. They don't make them anymore. To my knowledge, they, they used to make them in like old duck hunters camo and they come down to about the middle of your thighs you can wear it in conjunction with hip boots, insulated hip boots floating down the river. That way you've got warm boots on. And that float coat is actually pretty warm for what it is. And you can, you can wear it in the boat while you're hunting. And it's also a life jacket. So that's something to keep an eye out um, for as well if you want to go that route for a flotation device. I
2: believe Grundens has some kind of floating jackets.
1: Interesting. Okay. Well, that might be a good place to start then.
2: I would go there and look. I think they have even some stuff that's not, that that's, uh, just feels like a regular rubber raincoat. And when you hit the water, there's something you can pull that inflates it or something like that. But
1: Yeah. Okay. Our next question comes, well, not really a question, but uh, from Justin. He writes in, uh, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about a segment that, uh, that we talk about our sponsors on. Mm-hmm. While you're on your hunt... You should be protecting your rifle with your Stealthy Hunter glassing pad. Right. I, I'm sorry, protecting your rifle with your Stealthy Hunter rifle cover, and you're while sitting
2: uh, on your Stealthy Hunter glassing pad.
1: Correct. So that while you're on your hunt segment, we had mentioned that uh, if anybody could find the episode where we first mentioned the, uh, the 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 title tagline for that segment while you're on your hunt, and it was Mariah. And it was episode 11. Justin wrote into the show. And we had told the listeners that the first person to email in with that, uh, we would send them a free shirt when we got those in. And that is in the process right now. It's still a little bit out, but we are working that direction. Summers are busy, like you've heard. Uh, So, yes, he, uh, he wrote in. He said, thanks for the interesting content you guys put out there. I'm primarily an elk, deer, and pig hunter. But listening to your guys' podcast has opened up a new itch in wanting to get me a brown bear and black bear.
2: Good news, bears are just pigs with fur.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Pigs with claws and fur. Uh, He says, thanks for what you guys do again. And the shirt is an XXL. Ha ha. Well, we appreciate it, Justin. I've got your email flagged and I will get in touch with you for an address at some point when we get that merch in stock um let's see here the next listener question that we've got pulled up is from cliff he says just a note to thank you guys for your feedback on my questions i really appreciate your generous offer to hook me up with a transporter information but i'm guessing it will be a few years before i can afford that one attraction to black bear hunting for me anyway anywhere is the reduced cost of the tags but it may be better to wait to come up there till I can afford to buy tags for several species. Anyways, thanks for all the good tips and God bless y'all. That's a great point, Cliff. I, uh, I agree with you. I think that's probably a good idea. If you're going to come up here and you're interested in shooting mm-hmm. caribou as well, um, having a black bear tag and a, a, and a caribou tag, you can get flown out to an area with a transporter right. where there's both. And there are areas up here where there are a lot of both where you've mm-hmm. got a really good chance of shooting caribou and some black bears as well. And, uh, you know, a hunt like that can be a really fun, easygoing, laid-back, relaxed-style hunt. You have just your spike camp that you get landed at your airstrip on a hilltop with. You just glass and glass and glass. You can cover the ridgetops for miles. And when you shoot a caribou, if you've got a friend or two with you, you can get it out in one trip. It's not like mm-hmm. shooting a big old moose. Um, and you can also combine a black bear hunt with a moose hunt as well. So yeah. There are a lot of options. You're on the right track. If you have any more questions, we'd be uh, happy to help you if we can. Uh, Let's see here. We'll move on to the next question. Colton. James. James. James says, really loved the last episode that you guys did, ending with gear and brand loyalty. I really like Mo's approach to his thinking because sometimes I too am, quote unquote, embarrassed to wear certain camouflage clothing because I don't want to be put into a group. Also, want to say thank you to Dalton for his retake/slash honesty on the forlow gear. James and I actually emailed back and forth a little bit about that uh, to do with the forlow gear, and he actually is the one that brought up that it's possible that my client that had the forlow gear mm-hmm. that I thought was rain gear that he said was rain gear. James pointed it out. He said maybe he had the soft shell and it wasn't actually a rain jacket. And I went on their website looked at the softshell and the rain jacket, right. and I remembered a few details about the coat, and it was indeed the softshell. He was not wearing the rain gear. So that was, uh, that, that was a mistake on my part with gear that I wasn't too familiar with. Um, I, again, I haven't had very many clients now with, mm-hmm. that have had four low. For the most part, it's kind of the big-name stuff or no-name stuff at all. It tends to be one way or the other. This year, we had a guy with oilcloth rain gear and he was wet all the time. Yeah. Old oilcloth rain gear, like bibs and a big heavy jacket, like workwear, um, which, you know, back in the day was uh, well, was sure top was of the line cheap. stuff. Uh, that, not according to him. And it, it, was, it was pretty old, was too. It? It, was, it was higher end brand. I don't remember which brand it was. Um, but, you know, it, it was very nice and warm even when it was wet. But when it was wet, it weighed about 25 pounds. I'm sure, yeah. Extremely heavy stuff. Used
2: to use that old uh, Rivers West stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is warm. So here's an email that uh, we debated about talking about yeah. from Blake. And this one's an interesting one. He says, thumbs up in the subject line. He says, keep it up, you guys are getting better every podcast. Glad you guys are successful Meat Eater took a $50 million investment from an anti-gun company. I burned my first light. Appreciate you guys are Christians too. Thanks. Well, this is an interesting one. It is. Um, this is someone who I think is very, very true to their values. It would appear so. Much like when, uh, when some of the political unrest was going on with Nike few years ago mm-hmm. with the NFL, you know, um, whole debacle that went on there. We won't even touch on that, but you know, a lot of folks that, uh, were on the conservative side of that with the whole national anthem ordeal, they were throwing away their Nikes because Nike endorsed the player that, uh, that knelt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, whether or not you were one way or the other on that, we are not going to get into that, but that's the same type of attitude that I think that this uh, that this individual Blake is is referring to. Seems to be. So uh, he, the, uh, he he refers that meat eater took a fifty million dollar investment from an anti gun company. I will say we don't know if that's fact or fiction. We didn't even look it up. It, it it doesn't matter to us.
2: What I believe happened, I don't believe they took a fifty million investment from an anti gun company. Mm. I believe they took a fifty million investment from a company that supports other companies that may be anti-gun. They're purely an investment company. I don't know what I would have done in the situation. I don't think that's what I would have chosen to do.
1: But... <laughs> well, it, you do I, have some first light stuff, Mariah. I do have some first light stuff. And about, I have a lighter right here with me. That's
2: not going to happen. <laughs> I was going to say, remember the whole Yeti cooler thing? Yeah. Guys were cutting them in half with their chainsaws. Vividly well. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 an interesting thing where people will get on, and, and a lot of it isn't even necessarily you know, uh, some political stance on a lot of things. Per- personally, I, I don't use any Nike products. Mm-hmm. And I don't own any. If I did own some, I don't know if I would burn them.
1: Um, I don't own Nike either, but it's not because it, I, I don't I, think they're good products. Well, it, no, but, it, but it's, but it's not. a stance.
2: It, personally, Not, I'm not going to get into politics here, but personally, Nike is all made in China in sweatshops. Every bit of it. And it's, it's supported by Chinese companies. And there's a lot of things to do with that that I have a lot of problems with. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's not even political. That's just common sense.
1: Yeah. To me, I mean, if, if, you, go, if you go that direction with one company, where do you draw the line? Because right. so much well, of what we have, you know, wh- whether it's true. made and I, and in China or made in Taiwan or but, any of that. But you
2: do need to draw the line somewhere, right? Yes.
1: And to me, when a company takes a public affiliation with an openly anti-America stance or an anti-gun right. stance or an anti-hunting stance, that is the line. Mm-hmm. Like you, you have to have a boundary somewhere. I agree. And apparently, Blake saw his boundary. And so you know what? Good for you, Blake. I'm glad that you made that decision. Next time. Um, Stay true to your values.
2: Next time, I'll give you like 50% what you paid for your first light or something like that, <laughs> if that makes you happy. <laughs> oh, I, I don't, it
1: doesn't sound like he's going to be buying any more first light anytime sa- soon. It doesn't sound
2: like it. But when, you know, Sitka
1: or somebody does something like that, he doesn't like. Well, you know, on that note, Sitka gear, a number of years ago now, yeah. 2018 or 19, maybe. Something like that. It, it was a few years back now. Uh, they made a social media post on their, on their Facebook, I believe it was, mm-hmm. about how they were opposed to any more oil exploration up in the Anwar province. Up on the north right. slope, and that uh, they wanted to see more um, more use of the current resources that we already have in place up there, and not disturb any more of the caribou calving grounds and the muskox um, the muskox areas, and, uh, and and all all these reasons why all that exploration would affect wild. Mm-hmm. And they posted some photos of some animals in areas where there was. Oh my goodness. It, it, some of the photos that they posted weren't even on the North Slope of North Slope oh, really? animals. No, mm-hmm. it, it, was, it was a whole ordeal. And a lot of people came out publicly against Sitka gear in mm-hmm. Alaska about that because they were giving their money to a company that they felt like was um, endangering the already razor's edge thin economy that we have in this state. Mm-hmm. And so a, a lot of people that, that I know and that I'm sure you know dished their Sitka gear. I think uh it it could have been handled better uh by sitka. And I think I mentioned this before. If you have a stance about look, I don't want you drilling because and, and, and I and I don't want more mining or I don't want a road here or all that. Right. We got into that with the Ambler Road Project. We did. And even if even if your opinion is I don't want it there just to I just don't want it there, just leave it at that. Everybody's entitled to your opinion. It's it's a free country as far as mm-hmm. free speech, right? But don't get onto a platform and make things up that are unfounded right. and act like they're facts, just like the article that we referenced earlier in this podcast about the Mulchatna Caribbean exactly. herd. Don't just make up pie in the sky information and put in a few hit lines here and there just to gain sympathy from the masses. Mm-hmm. Because again, Sitka Gear has a millions of people reach across the country and, you know, through Canada and, and and a lot of the international hunting market as well. Right. They were one of the pioneer brands in the early 2000s as far as higher-end hunting gear in the mm-hmm. outdoor space. And, you know, partnered up with Gore and all of these big steps towards becoming a huge public hunting company. And so that they have a lot of reach over a lot of people that don't know anything about Alaska. And so they're going to see that facebook article and just go oh my goodness they're going to kill all the caribou just to drill some oil right right and they, and they paint this doom and gloom picture and again i have no problem if somebody just comes out and says look i just don't want it there period right i just don't want to see it there it's nothing to do with the environment or anything else uh, even if all that's in good shape and in good order i just don't want to see any any expansion into that part of the state just leave it at that. You're entitled to your opinion and I'll mm-hmm. respect that a heck of a lot more than I'll expect some propaganda post on social media, looking for puppy dog tears. So anyway, we'll move on to the next and last one. I believe we have,
2: I was going to make one more comment Okay, on that yeah, one. Yep. Go ahead. Uh, so, you know, obviously he sends this email, probably just finished up the last podcast where I said something about, uh, you know, I like where first lights going, where meteor has taken it. They've invested in the company and they've really turned it into something good. Uh, a as, good as, far product, as, as far as the actual product, as far as the product, yes. Um, and you know, we starting this podcast, we we're real hesitant with even mentioning Meat Eater. Mm-hmm. And honestly, to be to be completely honest, hearing Brian be unafraid to mention any other podcast host or name or something like that, because you know he'll be like, hey, I read an article by Steve Ranella the other day or something like that. Yeah, and that kind of helped me realize, you know, I, I don't want to be afraid to say stuff like that. No, and yeah. I I don't listen to every episode of the podcast of their podcast. Some of no. them I
1: think are terrible. I don't have time.
2: <laughs> but some of them I really really enjoy because they do cover. Sometimes they cover hunting really well. You mm-hmm. know, and they cover other other things. They've got the great. You know, they've got the um, the trivia show now, which is yeah. which is a great thing. We might have to copy that one day, right? <laughs> and we'll just have to say we did. It. We that's what we did. We copied their their thing because it was good. Uh, but you know, we'll do it better. <laughs> um, oh boy! But
1: uh, now you're asking for it. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> anyway, you know, I, I I don't think that it's a... Uh...
2: I just wanted to say, a, a bit, you know, based on that, uh, you know, obviously, like I said, obviously he's bringing this up. Right. Because of what I said. Right. I don't, you know, Steve, and it's, Meat Eater actually, I think, is, probably has more opponents or people that don't like them in Alaska than any other state. mm mm-hmm. uh, Just because of, you know, Steve's come out against the Anwar Project. At least at one point, he didn't like that. And he hasn't talked about it in a while. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he kind of came out against it in the same way that we discussed the Ambler Road
1: Project. I think I'll say this about, uh, about Alaska politics related to the hunting industry. Okay. We don't like getting into politics. We don't. Despite what you've heard on today's episode. I know. I, I know it might sound like, and if this is your first time listening to our show, please go back, you know, to the beginning and <laughs> restart and hear that we're actually a hunting podcast. This is a kind of an off-topic episode. Um well, we got to keep things lively, right? Exactly, and th- these are important things, and we wanted to hit some of these questions and comments. But for the most part, we try to keep politics out of this podcast, mm-hmm. unless it is defending honest facts about our home Correct. state. Correct, and that's exactly what we're doing here. Honest, as truthful as possible, facts about yep. our state. Yep. And if there is information in circulation that is contrary to the truth and we know about it, we are going to try to educate our listeners to the truth. Mm-hmm. That's always what we're going to try to do. Even if the truth doesn't help us, yeah. right? Sometimes the truth about something might not be uh, what we want for hunting opportunities in Alaska. Right. right. In this case, you know, the. the I mean, the mulchat and the caribou herd is closed down to hunting. Obviously, we wish it wouldn't have got there, but it's a part of management. It is. Right? And although that article is a doom and gloom article about how predator control shouldn't be in effect, the part of the article that I do somewhat agree with is that it is shut down to hunting because the numbers are too low traditionally mm-hmm. speaking. Right. I'm okay with that for now. I am too. I'm totally fine by that. Now, if the ma-
2: herd ma- drops down to 10,000 and maintains it that for 10 years, okay. Now we know what to maintain it at, we can open something back up.
1: I was going to say the the only caveat to a shutdown of a hunt like that is as long as it is controlled by the state of Alaska. Right. Not the feds.
2: The feds do a terrible job of managing. We have animals.
1: examples about that and oh, okay, so the, the the bear baiting instance that I brought up mm-hmm. about using uh, um, donuts for bear bait, and not shooting sounds with yeah, cubs, yeah. and not den hunting. Right, that was all stuff that was pushed by the feds for federal land in Alaska. Those are already laws on every piece of land across this state. But the feds tried to make a bigger deal about it and make a headline about it to make hunters out to be the bad guys. Right. right? So anyway, I, I just wanted to say that it's it's not a political show. That's not where we're trying Correct. to go here, but. These are topics that um, that we feel like we need to educate our listeners about. That's we'll just true. leave it at that. That's true. And as far as the first light deal, you know, if that's your boundary and if that's your personal standard, then, it, then you would be in the wrong to not follow it. Mm-hmm. You need to do what you need to do. And if that's where your standard is, then more power to you and we're 100% behind you. So buy from a brand that you like Yep. Um, and, uh, yeah, find something that works for you. An upcoming episode that we will have is going to be talking about affordable gear to get into hunting, uh, it, it, whether it's Alaska hunting or just Western hunting, mm-hmm. some essential gear kit items that you can get into a complete set of gear from base layers to outer layer rain gear and insulation in between, mm-hmm. um, boots, entry-level packs, binoculars, things like that, like an entry-level hunter's start to backcountry hunting. And,
2: or, or even hunting in general. For Western
1: hunting. right, right, but that's an upcoming topic. I don't know if we'll get to it next week. We might try to if James is back in the studio. Right. That's one that we want him here for to kind of had a kind of have our little roundtable discussion back and, and James, forth with all three of us. James still
2: uses a flannel shirt many times while he's hunting. So
1: oh, m- more often than not, yeah, yeah, more often than not. So we definitely have that to cover. That's going to be a good topic for us to go over, and I, I'm I'm really excited about that one. We also have. Um, a, another gear episode coming up in preparation for fall hunts up in Alaska mm-hmm. for guided hunts. Um, I've had this question a lot from, from different clients over the years now. Through, through, the, through the last few years, um, clients that showed up with not quite what they needed on their hunt, and mm-hmm. it was due to a, um, a gear list issue, or maybe, maybe they didn't get a gear list, or maybe right. their gear list didn't have all the right things on it. And they showed up and they said, man, I could have used this, 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 and this. And the outfitter told me not to bring it, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of a gear list of what you need as a client to come to Alaska. A lot of it will translate to if you're hunting, Western hunting anywhere anyway. So don't miss that episode. But if you are a client coming to Alaska on a guided hunt, whether it's this year or in the next coming years, and you have a specific question about an Alaska hunt that you're coming up on, Email us into the show through our website at thenorthernhunter.com or email us at info@thenorthernhunter.com at directly to us that way as well, and uh, include any gear questions that you might have for what you need to bring on an Alaska hunt. What, like I said, whether it's this year or next or the year after, um, if you have anything that we can add to that show to make it a better product for those that are coming up this year, we would appreciate that very very much. So, with that, don't forget to shop from our sponsors, Stealthy Hunter. Yukon River Knives, both the discount right there on the promo code box at checkout, The Northern Hunter, and then from Batum 907, TNHP is your promo code at checkout for a discount from Batum 907, our locally grown Alaska bear baiting lures and attractants company, also trapping lures. And then not to forget Weatherby and Hammer Bullets, makers of the finest monometal bullets on the market today. And
2: I wanted so bad to put a bear down with a hammer. There's still plenty of time for lots of kills left this mm. year.
1: There's still plenty of time.
2: It just it just came to mind and irritated me again. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, don't get depressed, Mariah. The year's, the year's far from over yet. So anyway, if you like the show and you want to support us, support us through shopping from our sponsors. You can find all those sponsors in case you forget on our website at northernhunter.com Be sure to check out our articles as well, some gear articles and some hunt tactics on our website on top of that. So with that, have a good week. I hope you guys are enjoying your Independence Day weekend. God bless America, and we'll see you guys next week.